Well, it is TYT The Conversation and I am Adrian Lawrence. And this time I have an amazing conversation for you that is extremely timely and that we need to hear. I am joined by Latosh Brown, co-founder of the Black Voters Matter Fund. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. All right, so there is a lot going on, especially right now with this anticipation rolling up with the 2022 midterm elections. And there just seems to be so much on the line. I guess let's just start from there of what do you, what's on your mind? What are you thinking of? You know, there's a lot going on right now. I think we have to think of this, we're at a different space. I think we have to look at this in the short term and the long term. In the short term, we do have the midterms coming up. But, then, but when we look at that, even greater than just having the midterms coming up, you know, we're literally talking about the unraveling of democracy. It is wide, it is deep, um, it is you know, it's, it's, it's like spread throughout the various systems. We're looking at a Supreme Court that just struck down the ruling of the lower court that actually acknowledged um, that the maps in Alabama, the Jerry, the maps in, um, in Alabama, you know, there should be two districts for that African-Americans can be competitive as voters, um, have the opportunity to be able to weigh in um, on their choice. And what we saw recently is we saw the, circuit, the 11th Circuit Court bring that down. So now you got the courts that in many ways are supporting voter suppression, right? You have, and then this is going up to the Supreme Court and God knows what the Supreme Court will do that could actually set case law and precedent in this country around the really the, the last stripping of voting rights. You know, we have a moment that we're seeing voter suppression all over the nation. That when we're looking in Georgia right now, SB 202 is a law. It's not like it's gonna be a law, it's a law. And it's gonna impact, I think it's gonna impact voters. And so I think you know, there's a, a question around what we do now. And I think there are three things. One, I think we're going to have to really be able to respond to the intensity of the voter suppression at the level that the voter suppression is happening, which means this is the moment that all hands have to be on deck. It can't just be about the midterm elections. We have to start the work in the education now. We have to have people that are continuing to put pressure on the Senate to bring back that, to bring the bill back up. We need to put pressure not just on the Democrats because I think that's a um, missed opportunity. I think we should create and, and build pressure on all of the elected officials who actually have sworn to protect democracy domestically as well as abroad. And so I think it's really important for us to lift this up, to make it such an issue that you are forced to respond, that those are in office that are forced to respond. And the third thing is we've got to organize in ways that we've not organized before, right? We're going to have to really be able to get young voters and new voters to the process. We're gonna have to really explain to them what is happening, right? Educate folks, and we're gonna have to mobilize in some new and creative ways. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it's something that we do need to get on. And you had mentioned a bill in Georgia. I think he's, did you say SB 202? Is that what SB, it is? Yeah, SB 202. That was a bill that was passed last year, immediately after the election and last year, where some people may recall, you know, we were that the voters in the state of Georgia made history by literally flipping a seat, you know, one flip in the state, um, uh, but now, but flipping a seat, two seats, Senate seats, they captured two. Senate seats for the Democrats that actually ultimately wound up taking um, Ossoff, um, who was the youngest, and a Jewish American and an African American uh, male, a Warnock, to Congress, which gave the Democratic Party um, technically an advantage in terms of the numbers of representatives. Of course, we've run into this wall because we've got two Democrats that have been standing in the way of progress. And I think we've got, if there's any time that we need to lean in, we should, every single day, we should be thinking about how can we lean in to one, the work of West Virginia. 
right? And in Arizona to hold them accountable. But I don't think we just need to hold the Democrats accountable. I know some people may disagree with this, but there were 16 Republican senators that voted for the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act that are now not, we don't see them. They're not saying anything around this. There are people that are retiring. We have to create the external pressure and that is that environment is such that you cannot run and hide away from this voting rights question. We should be pounding this and we should see this as an issue that not allow it just to get caught up in this, this partisan piece, even though that's what has become a partisan wedge issue. We have to make this a democracy issue. If there's any time in this nation's history that we needed a pro-democracy movement, it would be now, right now in this moment. Yeah, it's definitely something that we need to push forward. And I love that you've already brought it up in terms of Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, you know, because seeing our Senate kind of teeter at 50-50, but really not so much as the GOP seems to have the upper hand given those two senators there. But you know, when it comes to this up coming midterm, not to focus too heavily on it, but we're gonna have 34 of those 100 seats in the Senate possibly being contested. Is there anything you think people can do specifically directed at the issue of seeing what we can do to leverage a little bit of the split there? Now, one, I think we need to make this voting rights issue. I think we're gonna have to elevate that. People are going to have to elevate that as an issue. That should be the issue in the midterms election. Like that should be the defining moment for people of whether they're where the the voting base base is going to support or not. You know, when we look at some of these areas around, well, these were this was the blue zone and this is red zone. This is Republican. This is Democrat. The truth of the matter is, most of those areas have been set in such a way that they only accommodate or only account for 50% of the voting population. Cuz normally it's only 50% of people that actually participate. I'm raising that that there's a sleeping giant. There's 50% of people who do not participate regularly. That's the sleeping giant, not the elected officials. We can move them if we are organized in such a way that we target all of these seats, not just the seats that quote are seen winnable. There are some seats that I even think that could literally be changed, be shipped, be flipped if there is a concerted effort. And I'll tell you who I think the driver will be. It will be young voters. Young voters actually make a different kind of margin now. You know, young vote at one point, it was the, the baby boomers. For the last 20, 30 years, the baby boomers have dominated, right? The, uh, uh, the, the electoral process, because it, quite frankly, it was more of them that were voters. They voted higher numbers. Now you have a circumstance where there's actually more, there's, there's the growth has been on, on, on our side, on the progressive side. And so this is a moment that we've got to move from this idea of voting as just being transactional. It ha- we have to have a transformative approach. We have to literally be contesting for races on the local level, on the state level, and the federal level. If we have strong tickets, then what you're going to see is that's going to increase turnout. We're going to have to have a, an amazing historic turnout, right? Because this is going to be a difficult um, a difficult election. And so we have to recognize what it is, but we also have to change the environment where voting rights becomes a key defining issue that you cannot run and hide if you don't support voting rights. And we've got to call that out. Something we definitely have to call out and elevate that conversation so that we can get people to the polls and also get people access, as you've indicated. And you know, something when it comes to the House, um, I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on because we have all. 435 seats really up in this election. And then also what 42 representatives are gonna be retiring, 29 Dems, 13 Republicans. So there seems to be a lot of movement and shift there. And when it comes to maybe on more of a state by state or area level, where do you think that people should focus if you think they need to focus on maybe one particular region area? 
You know, I, I, I think that we need to be everywhere. Like, I, I know this is going to sound, but this isn't the moment. We're talking about power. This isn't about party participation. This is literally around how people are going to have power. There has to be consequences of not supporting voting rights. There should be serious challenges. Even in those races, we should go after every single seat particularly if those people have not stood in line around voting rights and particularly um, and fallen in line with of, of this whole notion of, yes, the, the big lie. Even if I think part of what has happened, and we saw that as a strategy in, in Georgia, that part of what you would see is in those areas that were not um, perceived as being competitive, you didn't see a lot of investment. There was not a lot of energy in there. But what, what happened, part of what led to the victory in Georgia was that the increasing the turnout in those areas, although those counties did not flip, it literally created a smaller margin for these for the, the 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 Senate races, the statewide races. And I'm saying that I believe that that strategy, we have to find ways that we're not just centering up particularly progressive voters, that we have a message that's tailored for the urban area, but also the suburban area and the rural area. There are progressive voters that live in those three areas. And oftentimes, because we don't see them as the margin, as, as they're the dominant voter in that area, they go overlooked. And I'm saying that I think that the opportunity now is for us to recognize that we need to operate like we need every single vote, <laughs> like because we do. And what that's going to require is that's going to require a multi-level strategy to be able to lean into it. And so I'm hoping that we we understand that it's going to take a different kind of strategy for us to move. We've got to have multiple pipelines to really be able to offset the voter suppression that is happening. We're going to have to tap in and bring new voters and engage voters who have dropped out of the process or are very upset of what's happening. We're also going to have to go in areas that we're not literally thinking that there's a, there's a, there's it's it's almost like we've got to go in some areas right that has that traditionally may not have been strong progressive areas but there are some voters and those areas that can actually offset particularly um, in some of those close races. And then I think we have to create a culture of challenging those. We have to constantly, what I have seen is I've seen bad actors not be challenged because the idea and the notion is you can't beat them. They're unbeatable. Well, there's been a couple of upsets. May I can must I remind people of what AOC did mm-hmm. in New York? There have been upsets. And so I think it's going to be really important that in this particular election, more than just winning and capturing seat, because that's ultimately what we want to do for the progressive voices, but we also have to send a message that there are consequences when you don't stand for democracy. And I think every single seat that is up has to be challenged and voters have to have to move beyond not just about the candidate. That's a consideration, but we have to really move in a way that we recognize that our own power, that we're sending a message about our power and how we're not gonna allow our power to be marginalized. No, yep, you are absolutely right. We are not gonna allow our power to be marginalized. And it seems like I agree with you in terms of getting some people up on contesting these seats, because even that there might be Democrats there, there are some institutional ones who may not necessarily be full on board for the party, shall we say. And it does seem like this could be a really good time, particularly since this what will be the first election post January 6th insurrection. And so it seems there are a lot of people are motivated, particularly watching the GOP do this division thing in terms of whether they're gonna call it an insurrection, infighting, whatnot. Do you think that this could be a really good time to get people truly motivated given the fact that, hey, we're still coming off of having this shocking and unprecedented experience at the US Capitol. 
I think it's depending on how we frame the message, right? The message has to be framed a little bit different. We had a different kind of motivating factor. We've got to be honest. Last election, we had we had Donald Trump, mm-hmm. right? And so there was a certain element that people, you know, I remember talking to a man and he said, I would vote for a tree, right? If he didn't, it didn't matter who it was, if it could move Donald Trump out the way. And that is a, a uh, people vote for different reasons. And what I'm saying is without that element right now, you know, that, that creates its own vacuum of voters, which means we can't continue just to be where it's, where it's personality centric, that we've got to build more infrastructure where we're constantly bringing new voters in, like constantly bringing new voters into the process and that we're solidifying the base instead of oftentimes what we'll see the parties do, we'll see the Democratic Party chase after this mythical rational Republican who has never showed up. Mm-hmm. Why are we spending time on someone that might vote 20% of the time instead and not and literally this base of voters who may be unmotivated, who may be disengaged, but we know that they're more likely to support a progressive agenda. That's where the resources should go. And so I think that they're, they're, we're gonna have to take a hard look at where we are now because I do believe even part of my frustration is when I listen to some, particularly some of the, the mainstream political shows that they're basing their analysis on a political landscape that has shifted. That at the truth of the matter is we don't know what the future is gonna be in the next five, 10 years. There are many people, I remember when all of the networks with the exception of one were saying that Trump could not possibly win, right? I remember that moment. And so I guess what I'm saying is there has been a shift in the political landscape. What that means is we also have to shift and we have to shift and tap into where we have power where we know the progressives have power. We know that young people, communities of color are more likely than any other voters to actually vote on a for a progressive agenda. So we have to invest, right? Start from now on, we have to invest in really being able to engage those people. And we've got to give them something to vote for. Like, of, of course, I know that the voting rights bill did not pass as we wanted to um, last month. But what we need is we cannot let that conversation die. That we have to continue and the and the party, the party that wants our support, they have to continue to be upfront and saying and giving us some hope. Give us something to actually work with. Give us something, um, criminal justice reform. We need criminal justice reform. Where is that in the process? We need um, we need voting rights. We need some uh, a, a strategy of really being able to deal with economic insecurity in this moment. And so I'm raising that because I think this is the moment for both political parties in many ways um, to really be able to reframe. We already know that what one party has done, they have decided, the Republican party has decided that they're going to run an agenda that is about racial division, creating racial fear that consolidates white supremacy as, as a power. And they're willing to do anything, including dismantle democracy to get there. We have to have a strategy and a response that is equally as intense, right, but with integrity. So how can we intensify this fight with integrity? And so I think that that's where we are in this moment. If we're seriously looking at the midterms, then we're going to have to dig deeper and we're gonna have to show up in a different kind of way. Yes, and I definitely believe showing up in a different way is something that we do need. And unfortunately, you know, divorcing a lot of these, um, you know, legacy Democrats from thinking that the gentleman's agreement is still in effect or can work post Trump era, it doesn't necessarily seem to resonate with them. But I, I know you're on the forefront of the different messaging that we need and these conversations we need to have as the co-founder of Black Voters Matter Fund. And so can you tell me some of the things that you guys might be working on or the movements that you're currently leading? 
So one of the things that we're working on, we're launching a campaign, 1 million voters for voting rights. And so between now and August the 8th, in the beginning of August 6th, when around the signing of the Voting Rights Act, what our goal is to touch through ourselves, through our national partners, that this is a collective campaign that a million people will commit to fighting for voting rights. That we're literally building a pipeline of people. And that looks many different ways. Everybody's not gonna be an activist, we understand that, right? But you can do something, we all can do something. Whether that's bringing more vote, whether that's registering everybody in your family, whether that is contributing to an organization, whether that's calling your senator, whether it's writing postcards, we need to activate the base to move to action beyond voting, that literally to really approach this as a power dynamic. And so we're going to do this, we're launching this campaign so that we can engage, we can talk to, we can let people understand where we are, how critical it is, and what we see as next steps. And part of the next step is really recognizing that we've got to leverage the power we have. And what's the power we have? We have people power, right? When you're looking in this nation, the, the where where the growth has come in this nation is from communities of color, right? When we're looking at the majority of people in this country, they're women, right? And so our, our biggest resource are women, women and communities of color, like literally to be able to build this broad base, multiracial, multi-generational coalition. That's where our that's where our power is. The second thing that we're doing in part of that, as we're kind of establishing this kind of this, this this energy and this momentum around uh, voting rights. The other thing is that we are literally lifting up in March. You know, we will go down to Selma, Alabama. It's a, it's a shame that here we are. You know, we've got to go back to the place where the voting rights movement started. We're taking it back to where it originated, and we're going to literally have a march from Selma to Montgomery as an opportunity to be able to educate educate people about what is happening and what is happening even currently in Alabama as I talked about this this significant case you know in Alabama that created these two black districts that the 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 federal court the circuit court which is a which has literally in recent years if people have been following the 11th circuit is one of the most conservative courts and it has always been a court that has not been friendly to voting rights in this nation right and so as a result we're lifting up that case and we're lifting up that we cannot allow this to happen because even in the backdrop of that case, the Supreme Court has agreed to take it up. If they take it up and they rule against it, that sets precedent. That sets case law around what what how people can gerrymander a district, how the Republicans can gerrymander a district and marginalize or compact the, the, uh, the voting strength of communities of color or, or or undermine the voting strength of communities of color. And so we, we're in addition to that, we're also doing redistricting tours. In the state of Louisiana right now, we're actually saying we want new, new maps drawn. So we've been taking it three places. One, we're doing a lot of work and people can follow us on our website. We're doing a lot of work of engaging people to have a better understanding of what is happening now and what they can do. So I encourage them to go to blackvotersmatterfund.org. The second thing is that we're taking our, our fight to the courts that we're actually filing several lawsuits. We had a lawsuit that we filed that we're a part of in Florida, in the state of Florida right now. The governor is actually trying to establish not only the changing of uh, a changing of changes in the electoral process, but the governor is actually trying to establish a special police force for voting in Georgia. Can you imagine that in Florida? Can you imagine that? How, how, how egregious that is? Right, and so we're also, the third thing is we're also wanting to build the infrastructure and the connectivity. We believe that the way that we're gonna have long-term impact is that more of us have to work together. The organizations, 
that we've got to work together on a collective agenda on moving our agenda forward. And voting rights is the foundation of that. So whether you're voting rights group or not, that this issue around who has access to the ballot and voting will absolutely impact your impact your agenda. You know, it's kind of shocking, as you mentioned, a police force around voting. Uh, you know, the fact is that all we've seen are instances and efforts to try to chill our vote and our exercising our right to vote as being marginalized people in our society. And so the thought that they're actually going to have some kind of law enforcement involved, it just shows you uh, essentially the efforts and the lengths that they're going to go to try to silence us and to keep us from playing a role in the electoral process and also having our voices heard. And kind of on that same kind of that same wavelength. It seems that there have been a number of essentially just threats and things ongoing right now during Black History Month to silence black people. We're seeing these bomb threats at HBCUs. Kamala Harris's husband just had to be escorted out of a black high school that he was visiting just yesterday. There just seems to be so many instances and efforts to silence us and to keep us from exercising our rights. And so I guess as we move closer to the midterms where things could possibly be up in arms and we push for this Voting Rights Act and we try to make these efforts. Do you forecast that there's possibly going to be more? Oh, absolutely. I think that we have to, you know, I want people to really understand what this moment's about. Let's, let's, you know, we've got to fight to make sure that we are not allowing the democracy that we currently have to unravel. But we also have to be honest about the democracy that we have right now. It's not the democracy that is laid out in the Declaration of Independence. We have never achieved that. We have never achieved having a government system in this nation where all people, all citizens in this nation actually have equal and fair access to the ballot. That is still a fight. They're still undone business um, with that that we've got to capture. And so I ask people even in this moment that we need to lean into the discomfort that recognizing that white supremacy is so embedded in every single structure in this nation that ultimately that when even the uprooting, the dismantling of that makes all of us on some level, it impacts all of us and make all of us feel uncomfortable because it shifts literally the structure that we've become familiar with, even though we know that that structure doesn't work for us. And so I'm raising that, that in this moment that we're frustrated and we're feeling uncomfortable and we're feeling the anger. I'm saying that let's trans, let's take that energy and focus it so that we can create the democracy we deserve and we desire, but it's going to take us showing up differently. That we cannot afford to just let people make decisions without voting, without us literally using our greatest power, which is people power. So this is the moment that if we want to see the change, then we're going to have to be the change we want to see. We can't leave it up to elected officials. We can't leave it up to politicians. What we've got to do is we've got to dig in. We like move beyond the analysis and we got to move the analysis to action. And that is going to require all of us doing a little bit more, stretching a little wider. But I do believe that in this moment of, of great challenges, this is the moment where transformation happens. All right, so we have transformation and we also do have people who just feel like they are defeated. They feel like there is, what's the point? You know, hey, we just saw the insurrection and really those people are getting a slap on the wrist and they just don't feel that it's worthwhile. What would you say to them? I would say it will continue to happen if we don't engage. I will say that there were 600 people that were in Selma, Alabama. And I always share this story that were on the Edmund Pettus Bridge that didn't have had less political influence um, than we have now. That didn't, matter of fact, they didn't have any political party that represented them. They had the Dixie Frat 
Democrats and the Republicans, they didn't have a lot of capital. Even the president was telling them, y'all need to wait, right? But in the midst of that, those 600 people, even knowing that they were gonna be met at the end of the bridge of people who would beat them merciless, like um, on that bridge that they had the audacity to believe that they could be change makers, that they could create change standing in their power and their agency. And as a result, Right, they literally are known for creating that group of people change the course of history in this nation. And so I'm raising that because it has always been when there's been a committed few people who have a vision that are literally to organize and build a people infrastructure to move. That's how change happens. If we're not engaged in it, it'll never happen. But I believe that my children and my grandchildren deserve better. So I'm gonna work like it. I'm gonna work, I'm gonna work until it happens. All right, and I will definitely be working alongside you. Thank you so much for joining us, we really appreciate it. Can you tell people where they can find more information about Black Voters Matter Fund? So follow us on our social media, Black Voters MTR. We're on all the social media platforms. And then check us out on our website, blackvotersmatterfund.org. Thank you so much for having me. And we, when we work together, we win. We have That's to right. believe it and we'll win. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me.